0: Welcome to the Criterion Chat, a podcast on cinema and the Criterion Collection. I'm Matt Peterson, joined by Nate Myers. Tonight we discuss Robert Bresson's 1959 classic film, Pickpocket. Martin Lesalle plays Michel, a young man whose failure in making an honest living paves the way for a dishonest one. As he hones his skills as a petty thief, joining a local pickpocket gang... He distances himself from the few things in his life that have merit, including his friend Jacques and the beautiful Jean, a neighbor to his ailing mother. For unknown reasons, Michel refuses to see his mother as she lay on her deathbed, though he claims to love her more than himself. As he dives deeper into crime, his disconnection becomes more acute and his punishment all but inevitable. Bresson's economical film is a ballet of hands and existentialism, shot largely on the streets, in crowds, in minimal time. The film's brisk runtime is not short on substance, as Dostoevsky's influence becomes very clear. Join Nate and me as we partake in a quick exchange over Bresson's pickpocket. So, Nate, uh, I'm not sure how much um, of Brisson's work you've seen. Uh, this is the first time I've seen Pickpocket. I've wanted to see it for a long time. Um, I've seen um, uh, Balthazar, but that's the only other Bresson film I've, I've seen. So I thought we would just start with some general thoughts on Brisson as a director and, and uh, what experience you have with him.
1: I don't have an exhaustive experience with him. Actually, uh, Balthazar Balthazar is uh, one of the uh, films I have not seen of his, but I have seen Largent, and I've seen uh, Man Escaped, and i had seen Pickpocket a couple of times prior to our watching it here for this podcast. So I would say those are the three films of his I know well. Uh, I wouldn't consider myself by any means an expert on Bresson. Uh, I think... There certainly is this group of people that looks at him as perhaps the greatest filmmaker of all time, and I don't know that I can ever quite bring myself to understand fully that sort of uh, affection for him as a filmmaker, but definitely he is a person who I've grown to appreciate over the years. Uh, when I first saw Pickpocket, I wasn't particularly impressed with it, but as I've revisited it, I've found it more and more uh, a uh, profound and more and more substantive than I initially suspected uh, so he is a director I think that is uh, well worth studying and well worth considering uh, even though I may not be quite as uh, taken with him as certain other figures uh, in film criticism are I nonetheless can recognize why they are I think uh, because he is by, he has certainly had a major impact on French cinema uh, if you consider just the work he did Uh, following uh, this in terms of, or or rather the influence he had on people that came after him. So Godard, uh, Truffaut, uh, these figures really very much uh, impressed, uh, he impressed upon them. Of course, my own great affection for Louis Mall, who was a uh, pupil of Bresson, uh, certainly I have to recognize how he would have shaped and informed, uh, Louis malls work as well. So clearly an influential figure, clearly an important figure. Um, but I don't know if I can ever quite say I'll, I'll find myself seeing him in the same light as his greatest fans do.
0: Yeah. Like I said, I mean, he's, uh, I'm newer to Brisson. I mean, I've certainly been familiar, familiar with him for a long time, but I haven't really gotten into his catalog. Um, I I mean just talking about his style in general like especially this film I'm very struck by just the simplicity of of the storytelling on the surface I mean it's it's uh pretty austere directorial style um but he's very intentional and I think he can be kind of lumped into um you know, a group of what we would call more spiritual directors or existential directors. Uh, he's definitely interested in, in themes that are, uh, on that level, more grandiose. I mean, I think he's interested in taking, you know, the idea of a, a simple crime film and elevating it in his own way through his own language. Um, but the way he, you know, depicts scenes or the way he frames scenes uh, is very unique. I mean, he, he seems to uh, be very intentional with every decision that he makes. And there's a, kind of an unsettling quality to, to this film in particular where um, the shots maybe go a little too long or, or start with a little too much of a header, just enough to kind of keep the audience off balance a bit. And to kind of draw you in, um, but at the same time, the style is very economical. I mean, I, I was struck by, you know, this film just doesn't really have a lot of visual panache beyond some very well orchestrated shots and well staged shots. Uh, I mean, there's there's some uh, more complicated camera moves here or there, especially during the um, the pickpocket sequences. But at the same time, I think he's very conscious of not drawing too much attention to the style because I think that would defeat his purpose. Uh, but the film's, the film's style does draw you in, you know, and it, it kind of forces the audience to project uh, themselves upon the film. Um, any thoughts on, on his style or how, how um, his style struck you in the past or just with Pickpocket specifically?
1: He's a very economic filmmaker, as you say, but in a bizarre sort of way. As you, Yeah. There is, shall we say, a lot of filler here in a 76-minute film, but it also feels very much stripped down to its bones. It's kind of hard to explain. It seems like a walking contradiction. Um, I would say a lot of people, as you mentioned, consider him a spiritual filmmaker, and I think I understand that thought. I guess I kind of see him more as a principled filmmaker, a man who has very clear principles of how he understands cinema, and particularly cinematic form. And Pickpocket in particular, even more so than A Man Escaped, which is, again, one of those films of his that has grown on me uh, since I initially saw it, Uh, you see just, I think, how much he is able to accomplish by being true to his principles. So a few things that strike me about his style is uh, the way in which he doesn't show things. Uh, you mentioned that he obviously lets shots linger. There's this prolonged waiting for something to, you know, somebody walk through a door, or you know, they they exit a scene and then the camera just sort of stays on it for a little while, right? But there's also a lot of stuff that isn't shown. I mean, this story is a very straightforward, conventional story. Man's flirting with crime, flaunting the law, and you know, it's a matter of time before something comes to a head, right? And obviously there's echoes of Crime and Punishment by Dostoevsky in this, uh, but he is clearly interested in his own movie and he cuts out a lot of the stuff that would ordinarily be in this film. It's 76 minutes long and you could easily have this film be 90, 100, 120 minutes uh, if you really wanted it to, right? And so it's it's... Interesting, he doesn't show, for example, uh, as the opening scene is uh, the character Michelle, uh, plagued by Martin LaSalle, uh, doing a pickpocket at the racetracks. We know he gets arrested. We don't see it. We don't see him actually being taken in by the police. We just sort of cut to he's there. And so it's I find fascinating what he doesn't, and I suppose that's where some people think of him as being a minimalist filmmaker or something of that nature. I liked your word austere. I think that's maybe a more apt descriptor for his style. But also how he directs his actors is so fascinating to me. He made it a point of not working with professional actors and never working with the same actors twice. And actually, at this point in his career, if I'm not mistaken. Brasson would not refer to his actors as actors. He referred to them as interpreters. They were uh, interpreters of the of the characters of the of the work, uh, and he would make them take do take after take after take after take until he broke them down into nothing. And you see that really how these characters are played. It's very flat. Uh, there's not a lot of emotion. Uh, there's something kind of natural about it, but also something kind of uh, subdued about it. So it's an interesting approach he has. And like I say, it's it's stemming from a clear principle of how he understands cinema. Uh, he didn't want to go for emotion. He didn't want to manipulate your emotion. And yet, in a certain sense, by creating such a stylized non-style or purposefully non-cinematic language, shall we say, with, with how we would think of movies, uh, he's also striking that sort of, uh, audience chord, right? He, he by, un- you know, upsetting the normal way in which you would cut and edit a scene, he's provoking us. Uh, so it's, it's an interesting approach. Uh, but I think it's one that certainly will, will resonate with the observant and deliberate viewer, but it'll alienate, I think, a lot of uh, viewers that aren't particularly, uh, desirous of that sort of filmmaking.
0: Yeah, it's a good way to characterize it. I mean, Bresson is, yeah, he's kind of a cinephile's director. I mean, you have to kind of understand the language of cinema to be able to recognize how he's breaking those rules, right? So if you, yeah, if you don't have a sense of awareness there, that this film's going to come off as quite flat. And and there'll be some, you know, more interesting sequences probably for the casual viewer uh, in more of the, the theft Uh, scenes. But yeah, as you said, he's, he's excluding, you know, very expected scenes. He's, I mean, the death of of, um, Michelle's mothers, it's captured in, you know, that brief scene in the church, you know, we're not, we don't see that, that dramatic scene at her deathbed, uh, which nine out of 10 other films would probably show. And he's very consciously kind of distancing himself from, from what we expect from an emotional standpoint. Uh, and and you, you had pointed out the, uh, lack of, uh, of a scene that shows Michelle being caught. And one could say, well, that, that makes his eventual capture at the end of the film, that much more powerful because we don't see it happen earlier. So that, that may be a conscious decision too. Um, but as you said, it spills over into the acting style as well. I mean, the, the performances are very flat, uh, but the, the faces of the actors, even though they're not actors are are very compelling. I mean, I think Michelle, um, you know, Martin LaSalle's performance really is quite nuanced and and he communicates a lot through his eyes, which I think is, is worth noting, but yeah, clearly, I mean, there's maybe one little burst of emotion when he throws down that book, when he's talking to the police officer, but until the very end of the film, where we finally get maybe more of a flood of emotion and, and the music swells to kind of inform us of, of uh, a more transcendental moment, uh, it is quite flat. And it is strange. I mean, it's, as you said, the the non-style is a style, and in a strange way that kind of neutrality really does pull you in or at least it did for me and yeah it forces the audience to to really project on these characters in a way that uh, that kind of fleshes out maybe some of the details we would normally see it's interesting I mean you would think just from a conceptual standpoint that this shouldn't work right I mean a film should have performances that are compelling or should have emotional moments or beats that keep the audience interested or, or, you know, keep the momentum of the film going. But Brisson seems very just not interested in that. And um, it, it is kind of amazing that that it works as well as it does. Right. And I think part of what it is
1: that's going to happen uh, with this film, in particular for his work, is it's it's touching on certain truths that we all are aware of, uh, but we might not be able to fully articulate or understand, right? And so the the conflict that we experience as a person in life in an imperfect world, this is really the setting of this story. Uh, it's really, I think, maybe impossible for us to talk about Person and really to talk about this particular movie without considering his faith, right? And so... Uh, obviously, Person has, in his own life, given different statements at different points in time. Uh, then there's much speculation, certainly by people who are far more reversed in his life and in his work than I am, about how much of a Catholic was he and how much was he influenced by Jansenism uh, as, uh, as a movement that was in the Catholic Church and particularly was very prevalent in the French Catholic Church. Now, as we think about Bresson, I think we can't really approach his films perfectly unless we ourselves are ingrained in some of those things uh, because they very much do uh, permeate his work. And much like it maybe is almost impossible for a Western audience to really fully appreciate uh, Eastern film, uh, you know, unless you yourself have had that sort of direct exposure to this culture. I don't know if somebody who isn't, an active Catholic could really fully appreciate what Brisson is doing. Certainly, you can appreciate the form, you can appreciate how he's violating rules or creating a style, those sorts of things, yes. But thematically, I'm not sure how much it can always resonate. And this is maybe why, when I hear people's critiques of him or people's analysis of him, I find so much of it to be almost missing the point or uninteresting because people look at him from... Uh, sociological perspective. They look at him from a secular perspective, and I think he's fundamentally a religious filmmaker. Uh, I wouldn't even use the word spiritual. I think he's religious, Uh, and this is very much a religious film. It's not religious in the way of uh, Ben-Hur, where there's a figure of Christ being presented, or the Ten Commandments, or these Charlton Heston motion pictures, but it really is fundamentally, I think, about the sinful man, the fallen man, in his desire for God. And that's the way I look at this movie, that uh, really the pickpocketing is a metaphor of sin. And it's it's really ultimately about a particular way in which one is trying to set himself over against the will of the, the divine. The character of Michel is regularly giving very, you know, if we're being honest, very uh, unsophisticated uh, uh articulation of Nietzschean ideas of the, of the supermensch, right? Uh, in his conversation with the police inspector at the cafe, uh, he's talking about certain people are exempt from the rules of society because they have certain talents and skills, and it's not a particularly compelling argument. Uh, and I think the way I read this film is really to see that police inspector in a certain sense as a representative of God, uh, and Michel is the sinner trying to justify, explain himself, but knowing he's ultimately going to be caught, knowing that he's not going to succeed, and he will only find his liberation in being caught. And that's really what the film shows. It's the great irony. It's by by being imprisoned that Michel comes to grace, comes to forgiveness, comes to a communion, uh, that he's, ca- he's captured, in a sense, by God. And that's what then allows him to have love and to be able to, ...approach Jean, where he's clearly wanted to be with her. He's had this growing love for her throughout the film. uh, And this is only then finally able to be realized once he's actually captured by God, so to speak. That's the way I interpret the film. I think it's really the accurate way to interpret the film. I know it's kind of a bold claim for me to say. And people interpret it in a lot of different ways. But I don't think one can really make sense of Bresson's work and Pickpocket in particular unless we really look at it as fundamentally a Catholic work, which then requires a certain understanding of Catholic theology, which certainly Brisson himself would have been well-versed in and been really, I think, articulating cinematically here.
0: Well, I mean, I I think you could say it it falls into the realm of Christianity in general. I mean, um, there are probably some doctrinal details there that, that I'm ignorant of, but yeah, I mean, I think your, your interpretation of the film is, is pretty accurate. I mean, uh, Brisson makes his character point out that he doesn't believe in God. Right. So, I mean, there's, there's a, a point made that he, he is apart from God and, and even, even throughout this whole process, he still has a moral compass and, he does know deep down that what he, do, what he is doing is wrong. Uh, I mean, it, it kind of starts out with your, your typical arguments in terms of, uh, well, being poor can justify crime to a degree, right? Or, or the idea of redistribution of wealth um, is kind of, does kind of seep into, uh, into this film thematically, uh, especially in, in that initial conversation between Michelle and the police officer. Uh, but uh, as you pointed out, you know Michelle's view that that someone can um, transcend laws in order to what he characterizes doing good. so the the whole idea of Robin Hood, right? so it's stealing from the rich to give to the poor uh, is this something that that can morally be right, even though it's transgressive in in terms of of man made laws and and I think the the police officer he he never quite gives into that right i mean he he maybe has a a glimmer of of sympathy towards it but ultimately he he yeah i i do think he is the representation of god in the film and he keeps trying to to uh keep michelle grounded in that way and uh he doesn't want him to i mean he wants to see him be saved in a way. Right. I mean, he wants to see him, uh, uh, repent and he wants to see him, uh, come to a better life. And yeah, it's, it's in that capturing in that, that jail cell where, where he finds that, um, that truth. So I, I mean, I think it's, it's pretty clear that that's what Brisson Brisson is going for here. So, um, I, I can't really argue with that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it strikes me as obvious. Obviously, there's I know other interpretations. Obviously, uh, film critics have uh, and uh, historians have a way of trying to overcomplicate stories, yeah. particularly simple stories, uh, to try to find meanings that aren't probably there. Uh, there's obviously I know in the commentary track on the on the film, there's a lot of teasing out the idea maybe there's some subtle quiet, homosexual reading of the film. I, I see no basis to to look at that on the text itself. It strikes me as something people are just trying to to get themselves published uh, by coming up with novel interpretations of it. Uh, but I think, you know, I would say, I I don't know if I could even agree with the idea that it, it goes just to a generically Christian perspective. Uh, certainly, obviously, you know, a generally Christian ethos is going to... Um, overlap with Catholic thought on a lot of these questions. But there are certain things in it that do strike me as, as requiring some some understanding of Catholic thinking uh, that are going to be only found uh, with a familiarity with doctrinal points, uh, particularly in terms of the idea of how, um, how the Catholic Church understands communion. Uh, the not only the idea of communion with god but the communion with the church uh this figure of Michel is alienated right and in alienated in the modern society and thus having an alienation within the church he's clearly a member of something right and as you see him in this film he has the connection to his friend jacques uh he has the connection to his mother uh he has the connection to jean right but he's rejecting that connection that communion with with them and them being ultimately facets of the church and the, the idea that this without creating a rupture uh, in his communion with god which is getting into certain catholic ideas of the eucharist uh, when you think about uh, this idea of the holy communion there that it's it's a forming of a communion with god and a forming of a communion with the church and by rejecting one or the other you ultimately lose both and so Michel is in this c- case where he is losing his communion with others because he's working against that, right? He's trying to specifically hold back from his communion with his mother. He won't go and visit her, even though she's sick and she desires to see him. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the interactions with Jacques very much removed, uh, not really being open with Jacques, right? And wanting to maybe grow into a, this relationship with Jean, but working against it, running away from it, right? And ultimately, uh, this is then causing that disruption with God, and it's going to be only reconciled through God, uh, and that's very very much a Catholic perspective uh, in terms of Holy Communion. The other detail, I think, that is in this film uh, is uh, not really a mainstream Catholic point of view. Jansenism was a heresy, uh, but it seems to be something that has influenced Brisson's thinking uh, in terms of the the total depravity of a person, right? Michel is shown mm-hmm. as being incapable of redemption through his own uh, approach to grace, right? It's simply grace will overwhelm him, uh, which, again, speaks to a certain strain of thinking that was popular among Catholics in France, in particular, in the in the couple of centuries leading up to Bresson's own lifetime. And so uh, you see that really, uh, I think, permeating this particular film as well, uh, and the way in which Michel is often framed—that uh, sense of uh, him being very much in enclosed spaces, uh, the the world is entrapping him and, and uh, suffocating him, uh, and he he's just sort of a dr- drowning in the world—would be a very much a, a Jansenist perspective, right? The world is corrupt and beyond redemption, and therefore it's it's shown as kind of encroaching upon him and isolating him and and ca- cr- crowding in on him. And and in a certain sense, then trapping him in this life of sin. Uh, So there's certain elements like that that you see playing out in the film uh, that, again, I I don't know that is going to be immediately perceived, certainly from um, a secular point of view. But I think even some of those uh, nuances are going to get missed unless somebody has that familiarity with uh, certain Catholic theology.
0: Yeah, I imagine there's dimensions there that that are enhanced if you, if you have familiarity with that, but um I mean going back to your point of you know, a man, you know, trapped in a room, um that's probably worth exploring here. I you know, we should probably mention Paul Schrader and his admiration for this film, so there's an interview on the uh, Criterion disc that's uh, about 15 minutes long, I think. Uh, where he goes into how this film has been influential for him. Um, so just the idea of a man in a room, right? And he he saw this film and and realized that that can be a movie. And uh, just this idea of a man with his thoughts and uh, a man struggling to find identity or to find purpose. And this was a big inspiration, of course, for Taxi Driver, for the character of Travis Bickle, uh, which was a connection I didn't, I wasn't quite aware of. I, I saw Paul Schrader's name on the um, the interview, but uh, once you look at this film from that perspective, uh, you can certainly see some uh, some connections. But at the same time, they're very, very, very different films. Obviously, uh, Scorsese's film is is you know very much a film noir in terms of some of its stylistic devices. And, um, I I mean, they both have characters that are loners, that are, uh, you know, living in in squalor to some degree. But uh, I would say that Michelle uh, has a lesser degree of mental illness than Travis Pickle. (laughs) Uh, But there there are definitely some parallels there. Uh, So it's interesting to see kind of look at this film from a perspective of maybe, you know, an origin for Taxi Driver and Taxi Driver is very much a product of its time as well in the political climate in which it was made. Whereas I don't see Pickpocket as a political film in any way, really. Uh, There may be some, you know, some um, left-wing thematic material that, that came, that was probably up and coming in France at the time, uh, pickpocket was made that uh, may be seeping into to Pickpocket to some degree, but I, I don't see Brisson as, as particularly uh, interested in those themes. Uh, as you said, Nate, I mean, he's he's interested in, in something uh, much more transcendental. I, you know, I think it's easy to compare Brisson to Tarkovsky in some ways uh, in not only in terms of the themes they're interested in, I mean, I know Tark- Tarkovsky was a, a big admirer of Brisson, so I mean, he's someone else that was influenced by him. But just stylistically, um, how Tarkovsky uses actors, uh, this film really reminded me of 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 his approach to to cinema in some ways. Um, but uh, yeah, any thoughts? Just back to Paul Schrader and and his admiration for uh, for this film. Any any thoughts on uh, connections between Pickpocket and, and uh, Taxi Driver, which I know is a film that you admire quite a bit. Indeed I do. I,
1: I think it's Scorsese's best film and De Niro's best performance and Schrader's best script by far. Uh, yeah. You know, Obviously the comparison with Schrader or the connection with Schrader is Something that is well-known, Schrader, before he went into screenwriting and filmmaking, was a film critic and a historian and a theorist. So he uh, wrote a novel, or novel, uh, a book on uh, Dreyer and Bresson, and spoke very much about his uh, admiration for Bresson, and articulated quite well a number of ideas I, about him.
0: Ozu as well, I think. Yes, Ozu,
1: yes, yes, Ozu as well. And so it's uh, clearly uh, a man who did influence him. And the the concept, the man in a room, uh, it does, I think, stem mostly from this film for Schrader and uh, Tax Driver being one of those man-in-a-room films that he made. He made others as well. Uh, So you can see clearly that there was a, a through line. Admittedly, when you watch the two films... I think most people would never see the connection because the style is so incredibly different uh, yeah. in them. And even I think their ending, the, the way they approach the ending is so different. You can see in Schrader, I think, a much darker sensibility than in um, Brisson. Brisson ends with hope. You know, Pickpocket is actually, I think, a, a hopeful film. Uh, mm-hmm. It certainly is not singing Pollyanna but it is nonetheless saying redemption is possible, that grace can be obtained. Whereas you look at Taxi Driver, it, it, it inverts that because you have Travis Bickle, yes, being celebrated as a hero, but that's the point. Like they're making the hero out of the wrong man. And it ends with that little quick dart of Bickle back in the, the cab looking in the rearview mirror. And uh, you realize it's only a matter of time till he blows up and does something again, right? Uh, so mm-hmm. there is no redemption. You know, he may have gotten the girl. He may have everything seems to look good, but it isn't really right. So obviously, yeah, it's a, twist,
0: a twisted form of of redemption. Yeah,
1: right. Exactly. Well, it's 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 the we've we found a redemption that doesn't really exist. I think is the is the idea there, perhaps in in Taxi Driver, unlike in this. Um, so there is obviously important differences between the two of them. I, I think that part of what's interesting here is so the Jansenism element, uh, which I've mentioned a few times here, basically may just explain what that is. So Jansenism uh, emerges in France. Uh, it's uh, a kind of a rigorous uh, form of Catholicism that emphasizes the utter depravity of mankind, the the uh, overwhelming nature of our of our fall and of the uh, the sin that has invaded. Uh, our human nature, uh, basically saying that grace is is uh, something that is going to be completely undeserved, unmerited. Nothing will ever be able to uh, be able to uh, merit uh, a share in God's grace, and so we're entirely dependent upon Him, upon His mercy, uh, and nothing we do will ever be good enough. Right? Uh, which it has many parallels in certain Protestant thinking, but then added into this a sacramental theology. Uh, and uh, some other things that would be unique to Catholicism. So this would be uh, sometimes known as Catholic uh, Calvinism. Uh, Jansenism is sometimes called Catholic Calvinism. Schrader himself was a Calvinist. He was raised in a strict Calvinist household. Talks about Mm -hmm. how he never saw a movie until I think he was 18, because he wasn't allowed to. And so I could see why the sensibilities in Bresson would have resonated with him. Uh, because being a Calvinist himself, those little elements would have spoken to him and, and, and kind of drawn out something of himself and how he was raised uh, and, and led to believe. I think the difference between Schrader and Brisson is that I get the sense, I, it's only an interpretation based on watching his movies, because the there isn't really any external data, I think, that you can say one way or the other. I think Brisson really did believe in the Catholic faith. Uh, How much he observed it or lived it out, I don't know, but I think he really, truly did believe it. Uh, Whereas I'm not sure that Schrader really has persevered in his Calvinist faith. He was obviously formed by it, and so it still lingers around him, but I don't know that we would say in his filmmaking career that he's actually approaching it as a believer, whereas Bersaud, I think, really is a believer in what he he is doing.
0: Yeah, I would definitely say Schrader is not, uh, (laughs) I mean... who knows what's in his heart, but doesn't come across as, as someone who um, is a believer or, or upholds uh, Calvinism or, or Christianity or however you want to frame it. Uh, if anything, I mean, much of his work has a real sense of nihilism to it. Uh, but well, his newest at least film, a first re-
1: deep cynicism, right?
0: Well, yeah, at, at the very least, I mean, uh, there, Yeah, I, I guess nihilism might be too strong of a word, but, you know, Taxi Driver is a pretty grim picture, but, I mean, there are glimmers of meaning there, I think, for, for the Travis Pickle character. Which incidentally end... might be
1: coming from Scorsese the Catholic, right? I mean, that's the th- funny well... thing with that, that <laughs> pairing there. It's so interesting that Scorsese and Schrader, because they collaborated four times, and you see yeah. this weird blending uh, of, of these two faiths through these two artists.
0: Well, and even Scorsese, though, I I think um, has admitted to falling away from the faith at certain points in in his life. And I think that's reflected in his work, too. So, yeah, it's hard to say um, whose voice uh, is shining through at any given moment with with great certainty. Uh, But it's, yeah, as you said, I mean, some of the the ideas here are kind of more in the realm of, of, Protestant ideas. Uh, but Brisson, yeah, clearly he is buying into the, um, the, the beliefs that, that he's putting forth in this, in this picture. So uh, I, w- I would agree with you. I mean, I, I think this is the product of someone who, um, wants to explore these themes through the framework of what we would consider a, a very basic, um, crime plot. So he's, he's taking, taking a story device that is kind of overdone and very common. Uh, you know, I think pick up on South street, you know, Sam Fuller's film was a big starting point for Brisson here, just from a, um, a content standpoint, but reframing that in a way that becomes more of a, 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 very metaphorical film, uh, but back to Taxi Driver, too, just the use of voiceover, I think, is an interesting parallel between this film and, and Taxi Driver. Um, yeah, you know, we, we criticize the use of voiceover typically as just a, a means to explain things that a film would otherwise or should otherwise depict either visually or through more elegant means. Uh, but the, since this is such a, a film about internal dialogue and about contemplation and about, um, the, you know, the dispossessed loner. I think the voiceover is important here, but it does come across as redundant in some, in, in some scenes. And I think Schrader points this out too, in that interview, you know, there's one point in the film where, where we see basically the same information presented three different ways pretty much the same time when he goes to the bank you know he's writing in his journal he's going to the bank he says it in the voiceover and then we see him entering the bank in the very next shot um you know is that sloppy filmmaking is that uh is brisson doing trying to do something interesting here uh any thoughts on the use of voiceover
1: It can be done well, it can be done poorly, right? I I can't say I have a principled objection to it. Obviously, film noir, it's a staple of that particular style, but again, it can be written well, it can be written poorly, uh, and it can be incorporated well or poorly. I think here it's fascinating uh, because it's so prominent in pickpocket, right? Uh, I, I guess I don't know this is correct, but just thinking about it, having watched it recently, I I'm pretty sure there's more spoken in the voiceover than there is in actual dialogue in the film. If not, it's gotta be pretty close.
0: Yeah, it's um, that's probably accurate.
1: It just there's it's very heavy, right? Um and so it's a it's an interesting way of doing it because my personal thought is use if you're gonna use voiceover, you do it sparingly, right? But here Mm -hmm. it's such a heavy thing. And there's obviously moments where it does disappear. That sequence with the uh, train, uh, with the pickpocketing on the train, uh, is done almost without any sound. I mean, it's almost like a sign of the film. You have obviously the sound mix playing, but you don't have music, you don't have voiceover, you don't have any of those non diegetic sounds uh, as part of it. So that's obviously an impressive visceral experience uh in that particular sequence but outside of that it's all over the place in this film and again is is the effect that it has is a unique one in that it really i think allows this to become a story of a soul right i mean that's what this film's about right it's about the sinner seeking god or wanting to be caught by god right i'm rebelling against him but i want to be caught by him anyway and I don't know that that could have been articulated without the voiceover as it's used here. And um, the fact that we see things in his journal means that, okay, we get that. He's not just uh, telling us a story. He's telling it to himself. He's reflecting on his life, right, Uh, and to himself. So in all honesty, the, the fact that we know this is all a journal entry and we're getting voiceover clips of it uh, means that what we're really seeing is his own diary of his own self, his own life, trying to make sense of his life. And then hearing the voiceover you know, is just a, a nice, easy way for us to be able to to get a, a little sense of who the man is that's writing behind it. And then seeing it uh, allows us to be able uh, to then put a visual image, right, the movie aspect of it together. But I think the fact that it's set up with this voiceover, and then you show things... Uh, really gives us then the stage for realizing okay we're getting the documentation of this man's life of his of his interior reality uh, and there's an interesting point with the voiceover narration because you know the later on he leaves right he leaves he goes off to London he says for a couple of years and you know wastes loses all of his money he gambles and pickpockets and does all of this and he loses it uh, to women to drinking to kind of a life of revelry you go Is that the same character we've been watching all this time? Because
0: you know, I thought that exact same thing.
1: (laughs) Nothing about him strikes you that way, and so you kind of go, "Is that a hint of a a unreliable narrator? Is it just poor, sloppy filmmaking?" That you go, "Well, they didn't really sell you on that point." I don't know what the intention was, but it seems so out of place, right? Uh, So, but I do think that that gets at though. I mean, it's here. I think it's effective. I think the film, the narration, the voiceover works because it gives you that sense of this is a story of a soul.
0: Yeah, I mean his soul, I suppose you could say, is the main character and and not so much Michelle as we see him on screen. Um, yeah, that that little interlude where he just goes away for 2 years and then comes back and he's like still wearing the same suit, kind of thing.
1: Right. <laughs> and we never see him on that, right? Cuz it, again, it's like what is not shown and we don't see a thing about it. So
0: Yeah, it almost makes you wonder yeah, is is that just a lie, you know? Is that did that really occur or is that his excuse that he intends to share with others when he when he resurfaces or makes his return um it's kind of a strange little interlude um but yeah i mean I, I don't have a problem with the use of voiceover here i mean i, I think i think we need we need that to uh, inform us of his his inner dialogue and and the, the state of his, um, of his being at any given moment, you know? So I, it, it's funny I, not to keep going back to that, that Paul Schrader interview, but just some of the things he said in that about pickpocket I thought were strange. I mean, I, he kind of starts by saying that, you know, film is not a medium for the depicting the spiritual or, or the transcendental. Um,
1: yeah, that's a pretty bold claim. I can't say I'm ready to just say that's true.
0: Yeah, I, I just I heavily disagree with that. I mean, <laughs> if anything, I think it's one of the best um, art forms to, to express that. Uh, it, it's just strange that he would make that proclamation when talking about a film that does exactly that, in my opinion. You know, I mean, he, here's a film that is breaking many of those conventions of cinema to, yeah, to depict things, you know, that that spill into the spiritual. I mean, I, I think, I think this film, I I mean, maybe you could say that he's, he's saying that the, the normal conventions of film can't communicate that, right? Because the normal conventions of film would dictate, we have to show the arrest scene. We have to show the mother's death. We have to show these, uh, these scenes that are expected. And, to become transcendental or to become spiritual through the the language of cinema, you have to dispense of those things. I mean, maybe that's what he's trying to articulate. I'm not sure.
1: I would agree that Um, that's how I took interpret his comments.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I guess in that sense, there may be some level of truth to it. Um, But, but to say that, that cinema can't uh, reveal things in that realm, I think is, is short sighted. Uh, But it's, yeah, it, it, it's interesting. You know, it's ironic that a film as austere as this and as economical as this can reach those thematic highs. Uh, you know, this isn't depending on, you know, gauzy dream sequences that that are meant to be a window into this man's soul. It's It's more, it's just, it's simpler than that. And through simpler devices, we can... You know, achieve a level of depth that your typical crime film wouldn't even hope to approach uh, nine times out of ten. So uh, it, it's interesting how film can be used in such a way.
1: Right. I mean, I think you got a good point about how this film really does hit the transcendentals. Uh, and it does it by defying the conventions. I, I think that is exactly what Schrader's trying to say. Again, I don't know if that's the reason why this hits the transcendentals or if this, if that just happens to be the way this film approaches it, you couldn't necessarily... It's the only way that you have to do it, right? I think other films that follow norms can do this as well. But I will say, showing the interior life of somebody, that is harder in film than, say, in a novel. I mean, I, I yeah. think that's pretty hard to argue that it isn't. Uh, but that there are ways you can do it, and if you have that sensibility and that interest like Brisson does... Uh, you can bend the medium to that purpose. Uh, and I think he does it very admirably here. Um, one thing we, we haven't really talked about, obviously we talked about the character Michel, we haven't talked much about the other figures too much in this, uh, but I was particularly drawn into the character of Jean and also the mother, who is, as far as the characters, he got the one scene and then is yeah. referenced a few other times. Uh, we see at the funeral, we don't see her die, but we see her her funeral there at it, but we actually don't really see the funeral per se. We just see them in the church mourning, really. Uh, what are your thoughts about these two particular characters, uh, Matt, and their role in the film How and how Brisson depicts them and uses them?
0: Well, I mean, you could say that, that Jean is underdeveloped in many ways, and I, some people would probably see her as, you know, depicted as too much of a weak-willed female character, and or maybe just a, a stock female character, uh, just just the the pretty face, just the love interest. Uh, but if we're looking at this film through the lens of of redemption, from you know, from a Catholic sense or or a Christian sense, I mean, she she does symbolize love i think i mean she is uh, you know she has a real sense of innocence to her in many ways i i mean she she may be even be a surrogate for the virgin mary in some way you know because maybe that's blasphemous to say but she's depicted later in the film as having a child and you know here's someone who's simply the neighbor of Michelle's mother and is more devoted to her, more uh, caring toward her than her own son. Uh, But she's never forceful about guiding Michelle toward the light, so to speak. You know, it's, it's, it's more a demonstration through, through action as opposed to trying to convince him that, that he needs to change his ways. Uh, If anything, he comes to her and, in a way, confesses to her, and her tears and her emotion in those moments convey. I mean, her not only her disappointment in Michelle and in the, the the path he's chosen to take, but just her love for him, even though he is a sinner. So I I think I'm not sure if that was Brisson's, um intent, but uh, I saw that her character as metaphorical in some ways as well. Um, Michelle's mother, I mean, there's, it's interesting that it's clearly revealed that, that he was stealing from her, but she chose not to pursue it. So she forgave her son and her love for her son, you know, Trent was transcendent or, um, transcended his, uh, his poor actions. So, uh, did you have any thoughts beyond that?
1: I do. So I think uh it's interesting that the mother doesn't have a name. She just is called mother, right? Uh mm-hmm. and how she's credited same thing. Uh, and so I think there's a couple ways you can look at that character, and I have a thought as to which way is the correct one from Brisson. So in Catholic thinking, right, oftentimes uh, the church is referred to as a mother, so Holy Mother Church, uh, and this idea of God the Father, and then Church the Mother, right, the two of them together. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there it could be a way in which she, uh, the mother figure, is meant to be sort of the church. Again, like the fact that he's stealing from her, uh, kind of the Catholic who's uh, you coming to Mass, coming to the sacraments, but not really living the faith or is unfaithful in some way, right? Uh, there could be a metaphor there. But I actually took the mother figure to be more like the Blessed Virgin Mary. Uh, we don't know much about her, right? We don't see much about her, but we know she's she is not portrayed as having any flaws. And that would be very much Of catholic understanding of mary because of her having the idea of the the theology of the immaculate conception right being spared of all original sin uh by god and so the fact that she has that benign goodness and that desire to bring him into a right life uh would be i think a way of seeing the blessed virgin mary in the mother uh and jean the way she's directed, the way her her costume designed, right, very plain, and it's sort of a, a sense of purity, right, and the actress Marika Green, uh, she has that quality too in her, just her physicality, right. It's a very uh, very uh, earnest kind of look to her face. Uh, there's mm-hmm. a sense of real goodness and tenderness in her. It's actually a bit of a shock later on, right, when you realize she'd had a child out of wedlock with Jacques. Yeah. Uh, of course, you think also back to the time it was made, 1959, that that would have been a scandalous element especially, right? We wouldn't think much of it now, but at that time would have been, whoa. Uh, so I don't see her as being necessarily meant to be like the Blessed Virgin Mary, but I see her as being sort of this idea of the, of the holy Christian woman, uh, uh, the imperfect person right? was, again, with that Jansenist theology lurking in Brisson's background, uh, she couldn't be perfectly good either, right? Because she's also a fallen creature, and therefore there's got to be something that's going to taint her. Uh, but there's also a, a goodness at work in her too, right? There's a grace at work within her. Uh, and so seeing uh her having that pregnancy at the end is a way of kind of remembering, you know, she can't be perfect either. She has to have her flaw. Uh but the two of them coming together, right, the, the man and the woman coming together ultimately will be all redeemed. And uh sort of the idea of the redemption isn't just Jean uh Michelle's, it's also Jean's. Uh by them coming together, that the two of them actually redeem each other and a certain kind of normalcy will emerge for them uh, because now she will have somebody who can make her situation right. Uh, Jacques had left and abandoned her, presumably, and so now that when sh- uh, we have the conversion, shall we say, of Michel, that he's been caught in grace, then the two of them will be able to, to make things right. Uh, so that's the way I see her character. I thought her character, well, I can see where it would be thought of as being perhaps poorly defined, uh, I thought it was actually one of the more uh, uh interesting parts of the film for me and something I appreciated more on this repeat viewing. Uh the this sense of her being uh what draws him uh ultimately to that, that back, uh to uh to a life of grace.
0: So basically you're saying that Michelle is Jesus Christ, is that what you're saying?
1: No, I wouldn't say that at all.
0: No. <laughs> I'm just saying <laughs> if, his, if his mom is uh the Virgin Mary.
1: No, 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 that's not my thought.
0: No, no, I, I know what you're saying. <laughs>
1: but again, that's the Catholic perspective though, right? Because every Catholic yeah, yeah. is married as his mother, right?
0: Yeah, uh, no, and so, I, I can see that, I can see yeah. that. And, and and I think this comes down to also just the difference between a, a Catholic and a Protestant um, view of, of Mary uh, in terms of maybe our respective uh, interpretations, but...
1: Exactly right. No, that's where I was saying earlier about how really I don't know if someone can really fully appreciate Bresson's work unless they have that Catholic, that Catholic uh, identity ingrained within them in a certain sense, because yeah. a Protestant isn't going to think of Mary in those terms, right?
0: Yeah. Just because exactly. they
1: aren't, it's not in their their way of breathing. Whereas the Catholic yeah. is going to think of Mary in those terms. So the idea of calling Mary your mother and saying as as Michelle does, "Oh, I love her more than I do, uh, more than I love myself." That is something a Catholic would say, even if they can't quite bring themselves to approach her because there's maybe a sense of shame or unworthiness or whatever it might be. Uh, they would still say, oh, yeah, but you, you don't mess with Mary, right? Uh, even if I can't quite be quite good or if I'm not quite as faithful as I should be uh, to her with praying the rosary or whatever it might be. Uh, there still is a sense of I have to mourn for the fact that I failed her because a Catholic really would think of Mary as, as his mother.
0: Yeah, I mean, if we're looking at it through a purely Catholic interpretation, I think yours is more accurate, right? I mean, um, yeah, it, it's interesting to to really pull out each character and try to frame them metaphorically uh, kind of within Catholic theology. I mean, it seems to fit. You know, I, I think that's that's probably a sound interpretation. But um, I, I would still argue, uh, yeah, I mean, having knowledge of that I think I think would clarify a lot of the choices here yeah it makes me want to know more about Brisson's background I guess uh and and to read more about his his own uh religious life and um hopefully there's some information out there you you seem to know more about it than I do in terms of uh, Brisson's background
1: well, and also just having, you know, myself uh, being in a situation where I just happen to know a lot of Catholic thinking, being, you know, yeah. a Catholic and having, you know, degrees in this, right? So, I mean, this is something where obviously I would also be more attuned to some of it and be able sure. to pick it up, and, and I think quick more quickly than another person might. And I would agree, Matt, I mean, this isn't something where you have to be a trained Catholic theologian or philosopher or practicing Catholic, I think, to see this film and get something from it, because yeah. obviously a lot of people have, and... You're right in the sense that there are, the truth, I think it's a truthful film. I think this movie is getting at some very real um, facets of our existence in the world, right? And so that's going to speak to you, as long as you're an intelligent, discerning viewer, you're going to be able to pick up on some of that and and, and run with it. I think it's one of those things where I always talk about... Uh, when you know something, right, you not only can per- perceive it, but you can also start to critique and understand and get to the layers of it and figure out all the details, right? So I'm not an expert on playing the guitar. I, I I can listen to somebody play the guitar. I can say, hey, that sounds good, that sounds nice, or that sounds terrible, uh, but I'm not going to really fine-tune and understand all the different layers to it. That's, I think, the way to look at Pickpocket, right? A, a film like this, you know, it's 76 minutes, but it's a very deep film, and so if you're going to see it, you can see it very much as the as the style. And you can look at it in terms of its impact in cinema. You can appreciate the story. You can see the Dostoevsky con- connection. We haven't really talked about that. Uh, but you can then also, I think, really get to this next layer within the work uh, if you have that background or that connection, that ability to see it from the Catholic lens, right? And so there, there's just obviously different layers. And with just like... I can't say that I'm going to be able to perceive uh, a work by, Oh, uh, well, let's take Ozu, right? I mean, I I can watch his films, I can appreciate them, but there's going to be things I know I'm going to miss just because not being Japanese, uh, I'm going to uh, somehow just kind of necessarily be a little behind the ball on some of these things, right? Whereas another person who's more familiar with it can pick up on that stuff that I could not.
0: Well, let's get into Criterion's uh, release here. So uh, I did mention that Paul Schrader interview uh, that's pretty prominently featured here. There's a couple documentaries um, as well. So uh, it looks like the extras are available on Filmstruck. Uh, I didn't really get too far into them. Uh, I did, did watch the Paul Schrader interview, of course. Uh, but there's an audio commentary with film scholar James Quant. And... It's like a documentary uh, interviewing uh, three of the actors from the film. Were you able to get into any of these other extra features?
1: Yeah, I I was able to watch all of them. Uh, I I didn't find them overly impressive. Uh, The Schrader ones, probably the most interesting of them to me. Uh, The documentary, The Models of Pickpocket, right, following the three actors. Uh, It was kind of interesting. It was neat to see just sort of where their lives went, uh, you know, not all of them kept on acting, and they didn't actually really know each other outside of this movie or really connect with each other again, it seemed. So there's something interesting kind of about just hearing from them how Burson worked and what it was like, but I can't say I found it a particularly incredible uh, documentary. Uh, And the commentary, uh, I was just, I was unimpressed by it. It it struck me as very dry and a lot of, you know, certainly, by all means, James Kwan knows much more than I do about Person, about his life, about his work. Uh, he's clearly very well versed in it. But it just struck me as a, an academic uh, who's sometimes overinterpreting, sometimes misinterpreting uh, his work. And uh, I, I wasn't really particularly impressed by it.
0: Well, if you didn't do a in-depth Catholic analysis, then we just got to throw this commentary out the window, right?
1: Exactly. It's completely worthless. No, but it's just, <laughs> it's not that even. It's more that it's just like, you know, there's this way in which I think a lot of film scholars will go back to films from a different era and they will read into it the sensibilities of their own era, right? Uh, mm-hmm. It's its not to say this is only happening with film scholars. We, we do it on a number of different things. What must be of interest to us must have secretly been of interest to this period in time, and I just think that you, know, when you're talking in the year 2005 or whenever this commentary was recorded, uh, it's. I, I think it's a wise to be cautious about how much you put into 1959 or 1958 France, right? Uh,
0: yeah, you have to you have to consider the context exactly of the film, and the era you know, in which it, it was made.
1: Right, it just, he, he just seems to be very much bringing to it a postmodern sensibility. I, postmodernism wasn't a thing for Bresson at this time, for sure. Maybe later in his life it was, but I don't think it, you could really look at this era with that same lens.
0: Yeah. Well, I probably should wrap up our discussion here. Um, so, final thoughts on Pickpocket: Does it deserve a spot in the Criterion collection?
1: Definitely. Uh, even before I, I, again, I've grown in my appreciation of it, but even before I became a big fan of it, uh, I would say I think that it definitely, I would argue I've argued the same, just because it certainly has a huge influence. Person's an important filmmaker, and this is definitely one of his most important and one of his most uh, personal of films. So definitely I'd say it should be in there.
0: Yeah, I think I think it deserves a spot. I mean, I really enjoyed the film. Uh, I was happy to finally see it. Uh, I yeah, I, I feel like I need to brush up on my um, my Catholic theology, though, to to really uh, absorb the details. But uh, it's a good discussion. I mean, I, I think you know if persona is coming from a Catholic background, uh, that that perspective sheds a lot of light on his choices here. So. Um, I would say it's it's worth inclusion well thanks for listening this evening um, our next film will be Ingmar Bergman's Through a Glass Darkly which will debut the first Friday in the month of July thanks again for listening, have a good night